you're exactly where you need to be. And you're listening to ADD Comedy with Dave Rosowski. Today's guest on ADD Comedy with Dave Rosowski is Fella McDermott. Fella is an innovative performer and director with productions spanning from improv to Broadway to the Metropolitan Opera and recently directed L.A. Opera's spectacular production of Philip Glass's Acknoughton. Fella is also co-founder of London's groundbreaking Improbable Theatre Company. Improv is a central inspiration for all of Fellum's work, and to quote Improbable's mission statement, quote, whether in performance, rehearsal, or development, we will use the practice and philosophy of improvisation in the process of creation, even when we're working on classic plays or operas. Unquote. In other words, the product is the process. This was a great interview, recorded in a pub outside of London. Enjoy! And I, I want to tell you what I really love about Akhenaten. Mm-hmm. Um, your use... One of the things that I think is hardest for any improviser, or probably any actor, to re- is tension. Mm-hmm. And the way that you worked tension mm-hmm. into that piece, it drove me wonderfully insane. Um, the patience that was there, the tempo that everything was done, and really, it's an appreciation for me of the moment that you're in, in that moment, to say, this moment is enough, mm-hmm. and if it's causing you to crawl, I'm doing it right. Right, yeah. Um, when did you, for me, I have a lot of, I have a background in, my background's at, at Second City, mm-hmm. and my background's also having watched teachers at, uh, I've worked with Steppenwolf Theater Company, yeah. and having watched them do uh, viewpoints work. Yeah, yeah. And I saw so many view, so many elements of viewpoints oh, in what you were doing, whether there was an intention or not. After a while, you don't really have to put that in. But do, for me, I've been finding lately the hardest thing for me to do with improvisers, because I work mostly with improvisers, is to have them sit in that tension. In the moment. I mean, it's kind of interesting. Is that There's a specific brief there, because you've got Philip Glass. And although... Uh, there are stories so Satyagraha was the previous one I did about Gandhi you get like a scene and it's say 15 minutes long and actually one thing happens in that scene like someone gets coronated or you know uh, they build a commune (laughs) and that's basically it so classically narrative opera wise it's not how it usually works it's not someone singing at someone else and then they sing back and there's a scene happening. So you have to create, first of all, something that gets you into the music, but something that, as you say, creates some kind of dramatic tension on stage. Of, uh, and it's, it is the presence of the people in the moment, which is what keeps you watching. The physical presence. Their physical presence in the space that they're in. And that space is the music, because it's a kind of soundscape that they're in. And they're gonna, what I discovered is you can't do fast stuff. You can't do fast acting. So you can't do fast physical, like uh, normal speed acting. You have to find a terrain where people are doing this, in exploring this slow landscape, as it were. The element that you can use fast is either choreography or dance that's got a pattern or a shape to it. So for instance, uh, in the, um, the glass opera about Disney I found this footage of the old animators looking at their cells and they're moving them fast and repetitively to look at the different frames and you go ah when you hear Philip Glass music with that that looks good so it has to have a form to it if you're going to do fast stuff so two things in the the one that you saw Acknarton you'll have seen performers opera singers acting kind of slowly in space and jugglers moving balls fast in space. So with the performers, I use a lot of Michael Chekhov technique, so moving using the movement qualities. I use kind of process work, work where people go, oh, you're going to move your arm really slowly, but what are the images that you're getting as you move from here to here? What are the sensations in your body? Seeing something, feeling something, hearing something, as that happens. Each night it could be different, even though you're doing the same journey each night. So there's a kind of dream, imagistic landscape to it. And then you've got the jugglers. 
who were doing a kind of different rhythm, patterns, whatever. But of course, in juggling, there is dramatic tension, which is, are they going to drop the balls? So it kind of solves one of the problems, which is there is no dramatic tension in this scene beyond someone gets crowned. Or yeah. someone walks up a flight of stairs. Exactly, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's interesting because you go, oh, I, you can actually make walk, someone walking upstairs interesting if you attend to that tension of, you know, attending basically to what images might happen in the moment. Now, you probably need to ask Anthony, but... Anthony being... Being the, the Anthony Roth Constanzo who played uh, Agnaton. Yes. He's going up those stairs. There are some dramatic things that have to happen. He has to make sure he doesn't tread on his cape. And that's part of the tension as well. Part of the tension. We all see yeah, that. Yeah. But he's basically doing the same thing each night. And it, for him, has to come alive differently each night. So it is the images, the things he's seeing, believing in the images that he's having as he's on stage doing those same movements. So those images may be totally different each night. If he's attending to that and noticing what they are, there will be a presence in him that kind of brings it to life. It's, it, it goes, I, I, I prescribed this to Elaine May, but it could not be Elaine May. I wouldn't do that. And that is, if you want to be interesting, be interested. Yeah, yeah. And that's a hard thing to teach people to do, to trust the moment because they're not watching them. They're they're being themselves. Yeah, yeah. And and so I'm looking at you, I'm giving you yes. energy. If somebody's watching us do this, yeah. they're going to know that there's a relationship. And, yeah. and and at the foundation of all this, I believe, is trust. Yes. And living in the moment. Because what Anthony's doing, every I don't know what's going yeah, through yeah. his mind because I've never really spoken yes. to him, but I'm I know what it's like to be um, attentive to my action, yeah. to be intentional with yes. what it is that I'm doing, yeah. to appreciate every movement of that step, to know that I yeah. am moving up, you know, and just going, I made it, I made it. And anybody, and there's only six, you're only doing six, you're only doing six of those, is that mm. right? The, the six scenes. performances. Yeah, six performances, yeah. Six, yeah, just yeah. six performances. Yeah. So it's unlike a show that I would do at Second City, which would open and we'd run eight shows a week, yeah, yeah, and you yeah. would do that for four or five yeah, months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in that time, you better find what is in the moment, or you're going to space yeah, out wondering, yeah. do I need an oil yeah. change? And then you're, the moment's yeah. gone. You know, I found uh, I've been doing opera now for six or seven years, maybe a little bit longer. And I think when people first kind of encountered me as a new a director new to opera, they thought, oh, he's that crazy, he does crazy improv shows. What I've discovered is that actually opera singers respond quite well to the way that I work, and they're not dissimilar from improvisers. Go on. You know, Placido Domingo gets off the plane and goes somewhere and gets, what well, you know, I don't know what it is. Which, which um, which opera set am I in tonight? You know, uh, which production of such and such an opera am I in? Uh, and so they are actually awake to differences, even though they're doing the same gig. So there's there's a kind of strange affinity with improvisers and opera singers. I think, you know, when they're recast, suddenly Anthony's the same, but the other people are alive to those changes and alive to that. So that's that's kind of interesting I think the other thing I would say is that's different about this work that you've just seen and impro is improvisation as in improv can tend to be about the external world it's right. what's the scene about what's the environment where's the thing it can and uh, my interest in improvisation is often trying to it also to attend to the inner landscape and the, you know the emotions uh, but also that kind of depth more depth world that it is possible to kind of mine in improvisation so I think my interest is of course sometimes in fast comedy impro it's paid my mortgage quite right. a lot of the time and I play with the comedy store players right and it says comedy in the title so you have to be funny you know um, and you learn a lot from that 
But I'm also interested in that other landscape for improv as well. And it, it feels why I'm still interested because it, it still feels like early days. Right. Early days in that journey and there still feels like a lot of work to oh do. Oh boy, I've, I've been having that conversation so much lately since I've been here. The idea of early days, the idea of that this right now, especially here, what you just described is new to hear that inner landscape end of it because it's not you know I mean there's place for that comedy store players whatever that's going to be but there's also those of us who for me I've done the and I can do that but I feel like now what I want to do is something deeper and not that it has to be but it's something deeper something I can still be funny I can still be fast I can still be moved I can still do all those things and um, and, and it's intriguing and I'm not I'm, I'm not I'm not I don't feel like I'm doing a dog and pony show yeah yeah yeah. and for me ultimately what that's about is creating spaces in which narrative and story can emerge and whatever the forms of that are. Right, right. I've been, the, the phrase that I've been thinking about lately is, it's, it's this idea of, do you want to tell the story or do you want to be the story? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when I'm watching a show where the actors are wanting to tell me a story, mm-hmm. I space out yeah, yeah. because you start getting into this other aspect of the narrative yeah. and you start narrating it. Yes. You know? yeah. and, and I think maybe p- people get confused between narrative and narrating. And the moment that you do that, I go from my mind, my I go from my heart yes. to my brain, yeah. and I have to start figuring shit out, and I don't want to. I think that's right. And you also go how your brain goes. How good is this story? Rather than being carried along, and afterwards you go, "Wow, I got taken on that," and it, "Wow, that was deep or whatever, or, or moving." Or, and I, I think. You can't avoid looking at narrative and structure and what that is, but as soon as you step on stage, you have to kind of forget that as a, as a thing that could be something that guides you, and you have to trust in, in something bigger. You know, it's, it's trust that the gods of story will work their way through you, and if you've looked at that and studied it, you may, may discover that you've, you know, you've cleaned the channels out so that it can happen. But once you start making a story happen, you're kind of putting yourself in an armoured place where you're not going to be changed and you're not going to be vulnerable. And you're, not, you're actually, it's another way of taking control as much as telling gags, destroying the narrative, all those things. You know? Right, right. I love that idea of um, vulnerability, that idea, because I think about, um, I was really into comic books for a really long time. You call them comic books here. Uh, and... After a while, I started getting bored of them, and I started getting bored of them because the the characters in it were all like the superheroes were all invulnerable. Yes. So they couldn't change, yeah. and because they couldn't change, every story was essentially the same story yeah. with different panels or different artists or different storytellers telling the same story. Yeah. And when I go to see a show that where I really love the the actors are being. Mm-hmm as opposed to telling me the story. If you're telling me the story, I don't want to come tomorrow. Yeah. If you're just being, I want to I want to watch it right away. Mm-hmm. I just mentioned this to Jules. I just meant I want to watch it right the fuck away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you hit on the, the concept of trust. Mm-hmm. And essentially it's trusting trusting yourself and forgetting that you ever knew anything. Yes. Yeah. I mean, now, it's interesting. One of the touchstones for us as a company improbable is that um, we did life game you know Keith's life game yeah. for a long time and that's how I know Dan and yeah Connor. Dan O'Connor mm-hmm. and uh, you did that here we, he did that here we did it we did it here we toured it and then we did it in the States off Broadway right and we did it at, at La Jolla Playhouse and we did it right. very and they, those guys joined in um, like Brian Lohman yeah uh, yeah. yeah, oh my god, yeah. I love those people. So, what's good about that is, that's like being immersed in different kinds of stories right. that are more emotional, more about vulnerability. So they kind of seep into your being um, in a way that when you then go back to just improvising, you miss it. Right. So the impulse to, to kind of tell deeper stories when you're just improvising and just making it up comes from a place of like a, a hunger for something that feeds you a little bit better um, so 
that what was great about Life Game is it could be incredibly funny and then turn, as you would say, we'd say a sixpence, you'd say on a dime, uh, it would turn and suddenly become incredibly moving. And then suddenly, in a way that sometimes improv is, but I, I've never known another show quite like it. Life Game has that ability. The to, structure, uh, another show being that structure that allows yeah. you to go well, all the It has someone's real life at the heart of it. And what you kind of see in the process of interviewing a guest, looking at their life, is that they, are, and you get this to varying degrees, of course, but there is an awareness on the guest's part that they are, their life is a narrative. Right. Whether they thought it was or not, sometimes they don't think it is. But that almost random selection of scenes that you asked me, what's my. Um, what was the, the the phrase you said? My worst moment, or whatever. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Not your finest moment. Yeah, my, not my finest moment. That that whatever pops into your head that day would be different. It would have been different next week if you asked me that question. But that becomes a kind of narrative from that person, and putting those scenes together in the moment does create a narrative, right? Because it has a beginning and it has an end, and you go somewhere and you go on a journey. And I think very often. Improv shows don't have that sensibility about them. They don't have the sense of what the pattern is. Because anything could be a narrative, but if you're awake to the real potential of each moment, then anything can become meaningful. I, I love the, the, the phrase of you're awake to those moments. Yeah. Um, and Because you used to wake to those moments and you didn't use this phrase, but awake to this moment and realize that you're a conduit to all of that energy going in. I don't mean to get so woo-woo about the whole thing, but there's something that we do, we being those people in the creative world and working with improvisation uh, and, uh, and acting, where I think everybody has that Everybody, everybody has that, that. Everybody can be part of that conduit if they let themselves yeah. be that way, and if you're awake to that. Yes. And some people don't have time to be awake to that yeah. because they have to drive the ambulance. So some people can't be, you know, can't because they've, they've got to take care of nine children that yes. they have. Um, and and it, it's it's luxurious that we get to do that. And I think in the long run, it's also weird. Weird. Those actors that we're working with that understand that are taking that out into the world and, and sharing that way of listening mm -hmm. and inspiring the people that are around them. I mean, I, I think, you know, if the idea is that you're going to get good at improvisation, then you're sort of on the wrong track. <laughs> I think what you're really, one is really aiming for is to get more awareness. And each night, there is usually a story trying to tell itself, as opposed to when the performers try and tell the story. And the signals for that story that wants to tell itself come through in different ways. They come through your body, they come through the accidents, they come through the tiny signals that the audience have seen but you haven't, often. If you can pick those up, the stories that get told or get birthed it's more like midwifing, I think, Absolutely. than it is like a, a kind of, uh, or it's more like, yeah, it's, it, it, as opposed to kind of doctor surgery. I was or, about to say, yes. I, I was about to say a scientist. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so, or it's like uh, homeopathic rather than kind of, in, in, you know, intervention surgery. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, but you can't, also, you can't make that happen. You can't. You know, you, you you know that some nights it's going to happen, some nights it's not going to happen. So it's more like meditation, where you go, mm, I just got to keep doing it, and I know that sometimes it's just going to happen. I'm going to go into those wonderful places, but other times there's so much going on in my head, I just have to live with that and be kind to myself while I am. Oh, so, that's so important. Yeah. The the idea that uh, the, the the meditative aspect of it all, and the idea of, I mean, for me, I was. I used to meditate uh, like 20 minutes a day and sit and be quiet, and then my schedule made it so that it became more difficult to do. 
And and yet I found myself driving my car and meditating. Yes. Um, I found myself walking on the street and yes. meditating. I found myself, you know, doing all those things where I'm suddenly saying, I'm aware of this, I'm aware of this, I'm aware of this. And the important thing for me was to be aware of this and to be aware of what I'm deciding to engage upon and to be aware of this and to know what I'm letting go of. Mm -hmm. And what you just described was there's just so many things going on that that becomes what you get to have in that moment yes. as your resting heartbeat yes. is this loudness but it's like again the only source of suffering is non-acceptance so you go this is the I, I have to it's accept it that yeah. it's how it is yeah. Yeah. and you may find yourself on stage with someone who's not in that same place and so you have to be kind of you have to hold that as well like, or, or you might find yourself going on stage after you just I don't know heard the election result now I have to be in this place and accept all the stuff that's going through my mind all the stuff that's going through the audience's mind and we can't just make it go away we have to live with what it is you know? and and when we make it go away we're denying something that's yeah. there it's it's the difference between, it's the difference of hearing a sound and calling it a noise or hearing a sound and calling it a sound mm -hmm. when you call it a noise it's sort of like you're taking that, putting it into a box, and wanting to put it away. But yes. what you've actually done is you've made it a special present box yes. now that you didn't give to anything else. Yeah. So the sh and I mentioned this in the last podcast that I did a couple hours ago with with Jules. I think I mentioned this. There hasn't been an event that I a, a crisis. We'll call it a crisis in LA, mm. in my life or in the world that I did not have an improv show or I'm sorry, a show or a class to do after that. Yes, right. Yes. And when we have those things, I know I just mentioned in the previous yeah. podcast, so I was listening to this, going to hear it again. When those things happen. I gotta look at it. At first, I'm like, I just want to stay in bed. I just want to yeah, stay yeah, in bed. Yeah. And then I realize I'm in service to those people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then I get there, and it's like, no, they're in service to me. Mm -hmm. We're all sharing this thing together that says we're alive right now. Yeah. yeah. And if I deny it, then everything. Why does everything have to be happy? Puppy loves yeah. kitty time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's right. You know, it's interesting because you. I want it all. I want my improvisation to be really, really funny, and I want it to be really, really moving. And you know, and when you land in one particular area at certain points, you go, ah, yeah, and you miss the other. So it seems to me to be a journey that I've been on, where you you just travel along that spectrum. Some nights it all happens in one show, but some nights you go, ah, oh, that's that night. So. Four nights down the line, I'm going to have a show that's got a different flavour and so on. It's like when you do a really terrible impro show, you go, oh, okay, that means we're all going to give up now and it'll be good because we'll just get out of the way and let it happen. Right, exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly, exactly. And you go, oh boy. I remember watching um, when I was first at, uh, at Improv Olympic in Chicago and Dell was teaching, and there was a bunch of people on stage doing a Herald and it was tanking, it was tanking, and the audience knew it, and it was horrible, and you're going, let's just fucking get through it. And there was one woman, Ruthie Rodnick, who I then worked very closely with, and Ruthie was up there smiling, giving a look like, isn't this horrible? Isn't, can yeah. you believe? Yeah. And not in a way like, get me out of here, but it's like, yeah. this, is, right? this is life. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And this, this will, this too will pass, and then we'll be able to talk about it. You know, uh, uh, my co-director at Improbable is Lee, and I What's remember his last name Lee Simpson. So yeah. he's one of the comedy store players as yeah. well, and he's he's. Uh, I met him eighty-five, uh, and he was doing stuff with um, Omelette Broadcasting Company, which was one of the early improv companies here, Impro companies as they're known in the UK. Yeah, you can say that. And. Uh, I remember having a discussion with Lee about theatre and it, Lee said, you know, most theatre is a kind of conspiracy or an agreement that nothing will happen. Please, let me sit down and let me watch this thing, but please make sure nothing happens. Now, I want something to happen. And I think if you want something great to happen, you have to also allow the possibility that something terrible will happen and that's what in those moments where you go here it is here it is but 
at least something's happening. <laughs> right, right. It's really happening. Right. Yeah, and it really we're all is And if you want to pretend that it's ha not happening, yeah. well, then that's what you're doing, and yeah. that's fine. You can do that. Exactly. That's okay. Yeah. But when that thing is yeah. happening, I'm going, oh, for, oh, this... Uh, right, yeah. right now, that's happening. Yeah. You do know that that's it, happening. Yeah, right this now. is really terrible, isn't <laughs> it? Like, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have to say, and I, I mentioned this before in a podcast. I went to see a show at the Goodman Theater in Chicago, and um, I went with a friend of mine, and we went to see the show. I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting to feel the shame whenever I tell this story. Um, and I went to see the show, and it was called Red. Um, and it was about Mark Rothko. Yes. Yeah. And have you seen it? No, I've not. I know okay, about but, it though. So yeah. I'm going to just yeah. tell you the beginning of the show. Yeah. Okay. So I sit down and I'm watching the beginning of the show, and uh, and the the two actors come out at the beginning. Oh, it's like 2,500 people in yeah. the audience. It's a huge space, and the two people, the two actors come out. The guy who plays Mark Rothko and a guy who plays his assistant. Yeah. And Mark Rothko says, "What are these paintings telling you?" Looking out at the house, yeah. and his assistant doesn't say anything. He's like, what are these paintings telling you? And he looks at his assistant, his assistant doesn't say anything, he looks at the house, and what are these paintings telling you? And he looks at his assistant. We used to do a game in Second City where you would look at your partner and you hold something in your hand and you go, what is this? Yeah. And your partner would not say anything and you're waiting for the audience to say yeah. something. Yeah. What is this? And then the audience would chime in. Yeah, I... I shouted out. I shouted out. I shouted out. I screamed at the top of my lungs. I want to be here. I shouted it out. It was the third line of a play. And at that moment, I looked at the kinesthetic response of the two actors on stage and I went, oh, fuck. This is a play. How brilliant. And uh, at that moment, no, something happened. Right, right, right. Something happened. And at that moment, I'm thinking, oh fuck. And it was such an interesting experience because yeah. that improv is in my blood so yeah, much yeah. that I go, okay, okay. So this kinesthetic response, yeah. I, I am. This is a liminal moment. I'm crossing, crossing the threshold. Yes. I'm holding on to this. What do I do with that which just happened? Yes. So, I think, first, I can, I can leave. Yes. Second, I could I could stay here and just go down uh, 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 the shame spiral. Yeah, yeah. And it's like I'm hide behind your seat. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> or I could sit here and say that happened and watch the rest of the show. Yeah, yeah. What did you do? The third one. <laughs> and what was it like? It was like there you go. It was like a play. Yeah. And then at intermission, at the end of the show, there was a talk back. And uh, the two actors on stage with the director, and there's yeah. a talk back, and they were telling about inspiration and all that, and how you got to that place, and Mark yeah. Rothko's art, and a woman just stops, and she gets up, and she goes, stop. I'm going to talk about the big elephant in the room. Someone up there shouted, I want to be here during the beginning of the play. Yeah. And we're not talking about that? And I was like, yeah, we should talk about that. Um, and the guy playing Rothko said, you know what, you don't need a license to get into the theater. You don't have to take a test, they'll sell tickets to anybody. And the guy who played his partner yeah. said this, which I thought was, both of those are very interesting. The second one, the guy who said, you know what, you don't know what theater is going to trigger in someone. Mm -hmm. You have no idea what feeling someone is going to get. So you get to experience that. I'm still waiting for the shame. It happened, I was moved, it was a kinesthetic response. I was going off of impulse, which shows you how fucked up impulse is. I wouldn't trade that for the world. I would not trade that experience for the fucking world. Well, I mean, right. well there it is. I mean, uh, that there's the kind of spectrum of the, the, the things that we do. I mean, the, the question is, is it an invitation? Was it a real invitation or was it not or oh it was clearly not an yeah, invitation yeah. but I just for oh and my friend who was going to be well, there it was for you <laughs> it was for me uh, and my friend D. Ryan whose uh, 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 husband is one of the uh, Reduced Shakespeare Company people Austin Titchener do you know Austin? no okay um, Dee was supposed to meet me there. And I, she must have, I must have met Austin, actually. I must have met him. Yeah. Austin and Reed Martin, like these really great, great people. I, was, I worked with them in, at, the Ken, at the Kennedy Center in D.C. They're dear friends. So uh, Dee was supposed to be there. 
and Dee wasn't there. Right. She, she came late to the show, right. and she wasn't there. And had she been there, I would have gone, I'm going to make a suggestion, and she would have grabbed me and gone, Dave, yeah. it's a play. So I blame her. <laughs> but again, I wouldn't trade that for the world because there's so many things that I got out of that, yeah. and I'm not a, I'm not necessarily a, you know it's not like oh, God, there's not enough black people in this show. It's like that I just couldn't fucking not. I'm more mindful now. <laughs> you know, I'm more mindful now. Uh, or the, or or uh, you know I look at what happened with Hamilton. And, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and Vice President-elect Spence. And you go, you know what, these people are motivated to do this particular thing at yeah. this particular yeah. moment. Yeah. And the majority of Americans who voted for uh, Trump and Pence don't understand that. But there's something that we understand. Yeah, yeah. And we understand that, uh, for me, I feel like I understand the concept of, if there's something that needs to be said, I'm going to say it. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I don't know what, it makes me think of, um, you know, our shows, a lot of our shows are devised and then have kind of improvisational edges. So often we pick up, we had a show at New York Theatre Workshop, uh, Spirit, which is about conflict. It was three-hander, me, Lee and Guy, and it uh, had an improvised beginning and an improvised end. And it the Kettian set of a big steep with hatches and we'd pop out and basically we'd work off what the atmosphere was, what we'd go on tour in different venues, you'd feel different things, and you'd pick up signals, whatever. Then you'd go into the show, and at the end of the show, we'd we'd often look at what happened during the show, like it, when we did it in Columbus. There was a guy in front row with a video camera, and the end was us saying, "Why are you videoing?" And then we we kind of interacted with this guy and whatever. So we we got used to that making that fourth wall be something that porous it was porous yes but it was interesting because mm. it got very easy to just respond to the person out there and just pick up and and we almost at a certain point got annoyed with ourselves because you can just well it's actually it's not that kind of interesting so we then played with if you hear it out there so say there's a whatever it is a baby at the back crying or there's someone shuffling or someone's making a noise Rather than just going uh, and talking to them, which is one option, could you feel that and pick up its quality and bring it into the performance without... So, as you say, more like a porous thing than a... Now, there's someone in the audience I'm going to have to talk to. So it makes me think about that, um, that performance with uh, Pence. Yeah? Yes. And, and Hamilton. They, they must have done that whole show and they must have felt him out there Absolutely. all the way through the show and the, the noises and the and the, the immediate answer is to go we're going to say something to him but there's also lots of other things going on as well so what's on a deeper level what's the thing and I, I'm not saying uh, it's one is better than the other it's just not as simplistic as we're going to pop out and talk to them because either we've got an audience there who's creating an atmosphere or we haven't and that even when you shout out you know even if you didn't shout out you feeling the impulse to shout out is still present right. as a thing as an interaction so uh, it's interesting it's interesting um, that that musical the play mm -hmm. Hamilton the piece Hamilton Knowing that Pence was out there, yes. they really didn't have to do anything other than to go, the flavor of that man yeah. here is now enhancing, exactly. and we're enhancing yes. the flavor of yeah. that man, yeah. and y'all are witnessing yeah. this two-sided conversation, yeah. because really that's what it was. Yeah. It was the peace and the man. Yes, yeah. I think it's probably because the status of the man is so high that something was destabilizing. So the impulse to go, we need to say something, right. probably is about trying to redress that, I think. And, 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 to, and, and, and to just give it context, uh, it was a curtain speech. Yeah. Um, and yet, it was still, it was still yeah. part of the play. Yeah. Until the lights go down and everybody leaves, as far as I'm concerned, yeah. that show is still going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, and anybody yeah. that's ever done a curtain speech knows it's still part of the play. And it's a lack of awareness, or maybe not, 
on the part of the person who goes in there and sits there and goes, I'm going to be here and I'm going to be more interesting than your play. Oh, God damn Because mate. of my, you know. So you go, uh, you know, it, lots of things saying, you can't even go to the theatre without being lectured. And you go, I don't, you don't get it. No, no, well, you can't if you are that person. Don't go sitting in the theatre if you don't want to be the centre of attention and you don't want to pull the focus. And here's it. another thing. When they said, with all due respect, sir, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to take that for what it's for, for what it really says. With all due respect, mm. they have set the rest of that sentence up yeah. under the guise of with all due respect. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. can you make that a moment that we all have, where Governor uh, Governor Pence would go, "We hear you. Mm-hmm. Wait and see," yeah. or walk out, which is a statement. Yes. Yeah. 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 You know. Boy, that caused that caused a huge ripple. Yeah, I mean, amongst yeah. so many people. Yeah, I mean it, that's the other thing that is interesting is you go. It's only a few, couple of thousand people, isn't it? That that shows happening. But it, 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 that's where you go. Oh no, theatre maybe still does have some power, resonance, whatever. Because yeah, that's the thing. People in a space. You know. There was a there was a, a, a Second City ETC. Have you been to Second City in Chicago? Mm-hmm. So Second City has two theaters. They have a theater. The, they have a, a three hundred seat house in the front, and they've got a two fifty seat house in the back. And they both they're both equal shows. It's not one is junior. It's like they're both equal. And they have a portion of the show where they'll come out, and they needed to get a suggestion from somebody. And they went up to somebody sitting in the and they said, um, "Okay, sir, what what annoys you?" And the man said. Being in a theater sitting next to a family of Mexicans. Yeah. Everyone was shocked. Yeah. This is the world we live in right now. This is the world we live in, in America. This is the world we live in in America. People were insulted. When was this? When did this happen? Two months ago. Two months ago. This had to be two months ago, something like that. And uh, the act, and uh, it affected the cast so much that. Some people left. Yeah, Some yeah. of the actors, yeah. this is their lifelong dream, they left. Yeah. And I wasn't there. Yeah. I don't know what it feels like. I know I was in that theater, but it was in a very different time. <coughs> we were worried about the, the Berlin Wall coming yeah. down. Yeah. You know, that's what we were talking about. But here, it's, it's a different fucking political situation that I don't really know what that feeling is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's scary. And it also says... You know, I, 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 my beginnings in theater were, my beginnings in improvisation were in um, prisons across the United States. I did non-comedic work, mask work yeah. in prisons across the United States. And everything from that point, like that flavored everything that I'm doing because yeah. it's all political. Yeah, everything yeah, that I'm political. doing is political. Yeah. And yes. it's personal. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm just interested to know what they did and whether they brought that in how you pick that up because you can't ignore it as you say once it's been said it's like mm. you go okay let's I'm presume you get a suggestion from the audience they say it you've got to explore it I know and that's where I was go deeper, you know. and, and, and so we can all say well I would do that if I was there I could yeah. do that when I was yeah. there but my impulse and again these we've been doing this for 30 years yeah, yeah. you and I have been doing this for 30 years yeah. they may not I didn't, yeah, they could yeah, not they, maybe they're 30 yeah, yeah. You know, but we've been doing this for 30 know, years yeah, and having yeah. done it for 30 years, yeah. I've got, I think I've got a retort to almost yeah. everything. I mean, I'm sure you've got in your back yes, pocket a, somebody, you know, somebody shouts something in the audience and you, you know exactly how to handle those yeah. people. Yeah. It's all down to the context as well. It's like, what's the show? If it's the comedy store, there's, the, the answer is that you, you have a quick, you know, it's like a heckle. That's what I mean. You yeah. deal with it. If it's a theatre situation, you go, okay, you said that, we're going to explore that on stage, we're going to explore, we're going to put a character on stage that's like you, and we're going to try and really understand it, 
and we're going to put some Mexicans on stage and we're going to really explore that and find out what that story is. There's your story. I know. You go, do we want our theatre to politi- be political or not? And, um, and, and that is a political theatre. It is, yeah. But again, I look at that and I think, how did that not happen? I can't say that it didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. I don't know the ramifications. Yeah. of. I don't know what happened after that. So I'm just assuming, yeah. and, and, and that's another yeah. thing for me, is just, if I don't know what the fuck happened, shut up, David. Just shut up. Yes, yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting because... You know, our we have a little project called the Still. I don't know if you know about it, and it's um, it kind of came out of a slight frustration of how long it took to put shows on, and I was like fed up of not being in a in a in a room just doing stuff. Now, very often our shows come from looking at an idea. So, for instance, Panic was me getting obsessed with the Great God Pan. Okay. Gonna, is that where that comes from? Yeah. And, uh, and I'm sorry, that panic is from the word... The go- from the Great God Pan, yeah. Wow, yeah, 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 I yeah, love yeah, that. Yeah. So, uh, and so the Great God Pan, he would, he'd appear and he'd scream and scare the shit out of you. And in that moment, you have a choice. You can either panic or you can spin off into enlightenment. Right. <laughs> and it, the, the, you know, Pan is an extraordinary kind of uh, nature god course related to improvisation there it is you know but often there'll be an obsession and then we'll we'll mine it and then we'll maybe bring our own stories in and we'll, we'll create a show from it it take, usually takes a year or more to set that all up I was like let's just get in a room and would this be writing you'd be it, w- writing. it would be devi- what we'd call devising so improvising in the rehearsal room and then it gets kind of flung together in the last three days and then slowly becomes something that's formed unlike with spirit ended up with improvised beginning and end but there was a text that got written and devised um, now uh, my wife who was working with us Matilda and Lee we were like what should we do there are these ideas I have of working with other people because very often it's something outside of theatre or improv let's just get in a room with them and at the end of that week it be a week in a room with whoever it is at the end of that week we have to do three improvised shows so we've done about, I'd say probably about six or seven of the still. We've done it with a provocative therapist, an astrologer, a, a person who um, works with voice dialogue, which is working with the selves, the inner selves, and dialoguing with them. And you spend a week with that person, and then you just, uh, we did it with a medieval potter. When you instance. say you spend a week with them, are you saying that that they're interacting with you improvis- yeah. improvisatorily? Well, usually th- there tend to be people who've got a practice. Yes. So our medieval potter has researched how to make pots like they did on a thing on the ground with a stick. And he yeah. So he'd spend a, you know, a couple of days and we'd have a go at making pots. At his then, crib? Yeah, we'd show him, we'd show him our impro uh-huh. stuff uh-huh. and then we'd go, okay, we're going to do a show. You could talk about making pots you could you might end up in a scene we don't we don't know mm-hmm. so with for instance our um, therapists sometimes we just start the show do a scene and go oh, that's not gone very well and then he'd do some therapy on us about how the scene had gone he would do therapy so it's kind of meta yeah. so he would do therapy yeah. on the actors in it you said that to yeah Matilda. and well, now how do you feel about the how that scene went on oh, yeah. and then he'd go back and then you'd redo the scene or you do he'd improv it you know how so fucking fun is that yeah, yeah. Uh, we work with a non-violent communication uh, person uh-huh uh, and again we would do interactions about our conflicts about even a, 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 a conflict from the audience would be suggested so these and you don't know how it's going to affect the improv but it does because you're hanging out and it becomes now when you then go back to just doing a straight input you've got some tools awarenesses and things that you know I might I might know how to make a medieval so in the medieval pot show he would make a pot and of course the second show he'd made this beautiful clay pot and of course I went stuck my head in it picked it up stuck two holes in it became a mask and it was we did this great scene yeah and the next show I did the same thing again tanked terrible because of course a bit of me was trying to recreate the thing that you know you know how it is but there's something about improvisation in its porous nature 
where you can put these things together, even if they don't join up, even if you just have someone talking about what they do. Um, you know, we have had someone um, talking about an expert on climate change, and then we would do a kind of improv scene. They inform each other, and the beauty of it is that the, the, the improvisation has this ability to engage with that language and take it somewhere else. Um, so I get more and more interested in those things outside of improvisation, other skills. So, you know, you work with opera singers, and then I'm going to go back into improvisation. What have I learned from working with right. opera singers? And what was that? Well, you know... Because you do, you said four or five different operas you've done? I, I guess I've done about five or six. Five now, or six. Mostly uh -huh. Philip Glass. Right. Yeah, but what I, is it about Philip Glass? Because I know what gets me about him, but what is it about Philip Glass? Well, there's Glass? a personal story, which is that the very first piece of theatre I created when I left college, we used Philip Glass music for. And it was a, a Ian McEwan piece mm -hmm. called Cupboard Man. Oh. And I had Glassworks at the point when, you know, not many people knew about Philip Glass. We used that music. And then I saw Acknarton the, the same year um, at the ENO, which was when it was first done. And so it's kind of full circle. There's a beautiful kind of full circle there. His, there's something about repetition that I adore. Mm -hmm. I just adore it. Mm -hmm. And I, I work with it in improv. And uh, I really push my actors to know that repetition isn't redundancy. What it does is it grounds you in a way, reminds you it's an echo, it's a familiar voice, it's something that, that, that it's, it's, it's home base, it's like it's all these things and it also allows you to hold on to that and not let ego and wanting to tell the story come in. Yep. Where you replace ambition yep. with gratefulness, the idea of why is it that we have to go somewhere, what about what it is that we have right now? And when we're and ego is such a large part of wanting to tell a story, needing to tell a story. And if we can push that away, and if I can work with somebody who's like, we're here right now, are you with me right now? We're here right now, you're here with me right now, we're right now, we're here right now. And, um, and then I know that you're here with me right now, and I know that whatever it is that I'm doing, you're seeing every fucking thing that I'm doing, and I'm seeing every fucking thing mm. that you're doing, because we're not going away yes. space. Yeah. And so when you have uh, Nefertiti and Akhenaten going mm. at each other yeah. at this, that's repetition of yeah. shape. Yeah. It's repetition yeah. of, uh, of architecture, yeah. the beautiful red fabric yeah. that goes. Mm -hmm. And then you're going, what's going to happen? How do they exit? Yes. And that's yeah. a magic trick yeah. because the, the, the fabric stays there. Yeah. Where do they go? Yeah. And to look at all those things and to say, that's all I need right mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting how... You know, improvisation tends to be verbal, tends to be about that, tends to be. But uh, there's all these other elements of the palette that can be used, you know. Did a lot of work early on with Guy Dartnell, who ended up uh, working with um, Meredith Monk. And a lot of that was kind of uh, what we would call the game, vocal improvisation, where you take a word and then it would get, and then it expanded and you know, all those things. There's just other directions to, to, to push it in. Well, just what you described right there, it requires a certain, in order to uh, engage in that, you've got to let go of any, uh, you've got, you get to let go of, that looks silly, or mm -hmm. what sound is this making? Mm -hmm. Instead of just going, I'm in communion yeah. with you, yes. and yeah. we're making this happen, yeah. and how can I sit here, engage with you, and then I'd be out here and judge what we're doing? Yeah. Why would I want to do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I notice about the, the elements of... So, I don't know if this is part of the conversation, but... This is called ADD comedy, so we get to go anywhere. Okay, that's cool. Well, it, it, it's that thing where you go, oh, I want my improv to be funny. You know? Yeah, but we have basically, uh, a lot of the time as improbable, explored what would call, one would call the wanky ends of the spectrum. Yeah, where you, it looks more like expressive performance art or something, you know. But what you very often find is if you push those, suddenly you end up in music hall. You know, you end up in in a in a Lauren and Hardy sketch where they're doing a, a crazy repetition or the thing where they, and you uh, you know the and that's what I like about that is if you push and it, all you have to do is not forget there's an audience. 
you know. And to be aware of what you're doing and right be now. Aware of what you're doing and seeing where it's going, you know. And there are different forms of narrative. There's there's more our devised shows, I would say, are more like kind of the narrative tends to be like a lyric <laughs> tend to be like a lyric essay where you see rhyme. It's a rhyme of form, rhyme of kind of suddenly you go, ah, oh, that's that that connects to after the fact you go, oh that connects to that. I didn't know. I was already connecting the whole thing up. I didn't need to do uh, the absolute plot statement of this has to be tied up with this and this and this and this. And and all that energy that goes into you thinking that and while you are thinking that I'm not thinking that you're not that. present. No. Yeah. The moment that you think that I go, where the fuck did you where go? Did you go? Where yes. did you go? I think that's right. And yeah, yeah. and and so I did this scene with Jules yesterday and I think I've only worked with him four times. I travel around the world, you know, kind of doing what I did, which is work with a group of people and then if they want to hire me, I will work I will do a two person scene with them. Right. You know, and 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 it's long form, and it's non-gamey, and we, we can do a mono scene or whatever the fuck we're gonna do. And I love working with people who are present with me in this moment, who are paying attention to every goddamn yes. thing that I'm doing, so that I know, so that we're both in yeah. each other's hands. Yeah. And a major part of this is, I'm in service to you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're in service to me. Mm -hmm. And to understand that the moment that you go out of that and do what you want to do, you, you've dangled me. Yeah. I'm dangled. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Over the... Yes. Right. Yeah. I'm in midair, yeah. and where, where are you? Yeah. I mean, I know I'm not going to fall, yeah. but I'm dangling. Mm -hmm. And I watch you go away. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, okay, you went away. Mm -hmm. You'll come back. Yeah. Right? You'll, yeah. Right? You will, yes. right? You'll come back, right? Where the fuck are you? Yeah. And then I get the choice of either doing that again with you or never working with you again. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's yeah, interesting. It's all interesting stuff. Yeah. It's to what what I like about improvisation is it it stays interesting. I really think it's why I'm still doing theatre. I think if I hadn't found impro, I would probably I don't know. I would have ended up with a movie career. <laughs> Or, you know, I would have ended up doing something else. And then also, I have ended up doing crazy things I would never imagine. I never imagined I'd do opera, and I found it really, really enjoyed doing it. I enjoyed watching it. I thoroughly and absolutely enjoyed watching it. I mean, it it's nice that I think I get the feeling you, you understand where, where Impro connects to that, where that's, it's come in there, and it's the same thing. We've also kind of created a model where we have a little group, we call our, usually call our ensemble, our skills ensemble. So with uh, the Satyagraha, it was a group of puppeteers who did big puppetry. Um, with Kazi, I did a production of Kazi Fantuti, and it's coming to the Met. And uh, it's got, there's, there's basically a kind of... The Met in, in New York. New York. Uh -huh. And it, there's basically a kind of, uh, a, a little ensemble of freaks. It's set in Coney Island, and they're like, they're the, the, the kind of storytellers that do the... Now, they're doing one thing, which is servicing the show and creating images, whatever. Um, but they're also, on another level, creating an atmosphere of ensemble which spreads secretly throughout the company and the building and the way that I set up rehearsals makes sure that they are included and they're not just the dancers on the edge who aren't, you know, the they are actually, on a certain level, the heart of the feeling and the spirit of the company. And I think, like in LA, the company really responded to that. You know, they really, you know, Sean and his jugglers had this spirit of playfulness. Even though he was only three of them, that spirit they brought was a very useful spirit in that production. And it did spread, you know, Chorus ended up doing simplistic yeah. juggling. Laura which, was yeah. Laura was going, oh my god, I have to do this, yeah. and I have, and, yeah. and and so she'd walk around the house using my old juggling balls yeah. and go, like, blue, yeah. blue, blue, yeah. right, yeah, and they don't have to do sophisticated juggling to no. look really good because there's lots of them, lots of them <laughs> doing so it. It's great, <laughs> and also we had a thing where, um, you know, uh, if they dropped, it was fine because it became they had, you know, the the main jugglers, you couldn't you couldn't kneel down upstairs, but if they dropped, 
they had to do penance. So when they dropped, they got down and they did. I saw that. Yeah. I saw that. Yeah. I saw that. And, and I was wondering. It's very it's good. And and it all became part of the context, and it all became part of the tension. Going back to the yeah. tension, and it became part of the like like when 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 they're when they're tossing with each other, when they're holding mm. up, like everybody was meshed. Mm. Everybody mm. was together, mm. and and it was it was precise. Yeah. And it was also fierce. It was, it was great. But you got to get some plot in there somehow. <laughs> right, right, right. You do, yeah. you do, and you do. And sometimes the music will help that. Yeah. And also sometimes the yeah. tension. Yeah. And I was looking around. I was because you had yeah, yeah. two, you had two intervals in yeah. that show. Yeah, yeah. You know, there there are a couple of shows where you've got August Osage County, which had two intervals, so a three act play. You had the three act play for this, a three act opera. And I'm watching. I'm looking around, mm. and Laura said, "I wouldn't be surprised if people left after the second intermission." No one no, left. No, no. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think if you get that thing of presence if you manage to get that thing of the the, the presence then of course the audience though there will always be people who can't go there of course because it's Philip Glass help they run screaming from the building and hopefully they managed to look at the program and see who it was before they went in but if the performers are present the audience will be present so the time goes like that they didn't notice it was three and a quarter hours long because they were in the moment, in the moment, in the moment, in the moment themselves. Right. So it, it them flies by, strangely. It's, it goes back to if you want to be interesting, be interested. And the audience yeah, yeah. was also interested. Yeah. So the audience is interested. We on stage yeah. feel their interest. And it's, it's synergy. Yeah. Uh, it's synergy. Yeah. It's yeah. just synergistic. Yeah. And what's, what, one of the things I really learned from opera is that music is as much about silence as it is about sound. And the silence and the quality of the silence is created as much by the audience as it is by the performers and the musicians. So if you, there's a beautiful bit in Satyagraha where there's a kind of suspended moment of silence and the quality of that silence is created by how much the audience are attending and how much their presence is. So often that's about atmosphere, so there's just a Chekhov thing about if you create a strong atmosphere on stage it will spread out into the audience and the audience will contribute back to the atmosphere and create a whole holding atmosphere of the whole thing. A holding atmosphere. Yeah. We're holding. What? Who did uh, Who did that one composition 14 minutes 30? Cage. Yeah. 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 Right. It's just yeah, it's yeah. The, yeah it's, it's that thing. It's, yeah. <laughs> what's what's going on? Well, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, what's going on now? Exactly. Yeah, it'll, now, it'll it'll always be fresh that piece. It will always be fresh. <laughs> and what? So so for those who don't know, is, was it? How is it? I don't know. Well, I so it's a number. So say it's yeah. fourteen fifty three. It's fourteen fifty three. They have an entire orchestra up there. Everybody has musical sheets, and there is no. They never play their instruments, and. When I saw that, uh, there was an exhibit about Cage at the uh, the, the, uh, the Metropolitan mm. Museum of Art, or something like that, uh, the MoMA, and it described how people sitting there, the piece starts, and somebody coughs, mm. somebody's chair moves. Mm. That's the sound. That's the, sound. That's yeah, the yeah. instruments. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that also is the guy filming in the front row video, exactly, yeah. yeah. you know? Yeah. And it's me, like an idiot, shouting, shouting out there. Yes, yeah. Yeah. And they go, that's all part of it. It is part of it. Hopefully. I mean, that's, you know, theatre hasn't got many things going for it anymore. Surprising wise? Well, just that, you know, there's so much competition with the internet and with technology and blah, blah, blah. The one thing we shouldn't forget about theatre is that it's a live event. I think a lot of people try and lock that off, you know. The show is frozen, as we know, this expression. We don't want the show frozen. You want the show to be live, or it's not theatre anymore. And actually, what theatre does best is be theatre, be this live thing. When it starts to pretend to be other things, it's never going to win that competition. So let's make it more live, let's make it more present, let's make it something that really, really exists now. Or it'll die off. Maybe it should die off, and then we'll find it has to start again. I, uh, then I'd have to find a fucking job. Um, thank you so much. That was awesome. Thank you very much. 
Phelim is quoted as saying, quote, you can argue with reality as much as you like, but you're always going to lose, unquote. That's spoken like a true improviser. Thank you, Phelim. It was an honor to chat with you. Just so much fun. Phelim has got a wonderful Not My Finest Hour coming up after these announcements. Mm-hmm. There's the announcement bell. On January 21st, I'll be performing a reunion show with the great cast of Stacy's Not Here. We performed together for 13 years in L.A. It's going to be at L.A.'s Open Space. That will be, as they say, epic. I'll be in Orlando back at the SAC Theater January 20th to the 22nd. I'll be having my Italian premiere at the Welcome International Improv Festival 2017 in Roma. Three days of workshops with some of the finest teachers in the world and some of the finest actors as well. And as always, I acting. on uh, That's my online class right there. If you live somewhere, chances are I'll be teaching there. All information at daversaski.com. Here's Fella McDermott's installment of Not My Finest Hour. And now, Fella McDermott's installment of Not My Finest Hour. Oh. So I would say Not My Finest Hour in a, like my theatre directing journey was my first was my casting story around my first um, big rep theatre show, Nottingham Playhouse. And uh, I'm sure the person who I did cast will forgive me for telling this story. But um, <laughs> there, there was a, a, a moment when I was um, asked, basically down to two actors. And uh, we were like, uh, me and Lee were like, oh, who's it going to be? And it was my big, oh, I've got to get this casting right, you know. And I remember uh, the artistic director of the theatre said, who's the person who's done most? Uh, it was Dr. Faustus. Who's going to be my Dr. Faustus? Who's the person who's do, done most, uh, uh, like, verse work? And that, I basically listened to that advice and made the decision on that um, basis and did not cast Michael Sheen as Dr. Faustus. So uh, every now and again I bump into Michael Sheen and go, maybe we should do something someday. But uh, I'm sure the actor who I did cast will forgive me for telling that story as not my finest <laughs> casting hour. But uh, there you go. Great. <laughs> 